Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Today's episode takes off with discussing fears of driving. This is the starting point to chat about a key process within acceptance and commitment therapy, values-based exposures. You will hear in this conversation key principles to approach your fears, worries, and anxieties in a flexible way and in the service of your values. Brian Thompson and I covered different act skills such as diffusion, values, and willingness, and we also chat about what you can do if you're getting stuck in the process of conquering your fears or if you are afraid of starting the process of facing your anxieties. If you are struggling with anxiety and you are interested in acceptance and commitment skills, make sure to go to the website of the East Bay Behavior Therapy Center. And if you live outside of California, we are offering online ACT coaching services. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Brian. Have a great day and see you next week. Bye-bye. Okay, okay. If I am practicing these exercises, I am driving on the freeway mm-hmm. and I look at you, I'm assuming you're there with me. I look at you and I say, Brian, I am holding the wheel with my hands and I feel like they're getting numb and my heart is beating mm-hmm. so fast. I think that I cannot breathe and I'm petrified of having an accident. How would you respond to that? Because quite likely when we're experiencing any type of fear or anxiety, we do have a lot of body noise. We do have a lot of thoughts coming in our mind and we feel like escaping or avoiding the situation. So what would you encourage me to do in those moments? I think those things are really important that no matter whether it's acceptance, commitment therapy or any model, we know that tightening up, just trying to kind of get through an exposure, gripping the wheel tightly can block the learning associated Mm -hmm. with exposure. Uh, I think in those instances, even if it, it, it sounds mechanical, but just even if you just have to physically do it, I think loosening your grip on the wheel helps to um, kind of lean into the, because, you know, when you grip it, you're sort of reinforcing those fear, those threat associations. That's true. Um, I know for me, when I had panic attacks, the physical sensations can be extremely overwhelming. And it's really hard to ground yourself when your heart is beating so fast that it feels like exploding. The temperature in your body also goes up and you feel like you're boiling. What would you encourage me to do with all this noise that shows up in my body? 
There's also two other things I, I would have you check in with. One is breathing. Um, mm -hmm. Probably if you're gripping the wheel, I guess as your breathing is more short and shallow, kind of more up in the chest area. And when we breathe more through our chest, it tends to amplify anxiety. So maybe paying attention to breathing down in the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And also, I think finding ways to engage the present moment. And one, one way to do that is engaging one or more of our senses. Mm -hmm. uh, with driving, um, and it might depend on, I don't know if there's particular senses you orient more easily to. I know some people find it helpful to look out and notice the trees around them. Mm -hmm. Or one person would reach down and just physically touch the seat and there was something right. Mm -hmm. Now, if I have thoughts like, what if I have a bad accident? Mm -hmm. What if I kill Brian when I'm driving? What mm -hmm. if I kill the other passengers who are driving on that freeway? Mm -hmm. What would you encourage me to do with those thoughts using ACT skills? I would say to just kind of notice them and then gently redirect your attention to the present, um, to, to a, a sense perception, to feeling the wheel or noticing the trees around you, because ultimately those thoughts are not going to be helpful. Okay. Okay. When we think about acceptance and commitment skills, there are six processes that we try to teach clients or six mm -hmm. skills that nourish and foster psychological flexibility, like values, committed action, perspective taking, acceptance, contact with the present moment, and diffusion. How do you approach these different processes when doing exposure? Or do you have a favorite process that you like to do <laughs> in? All of them are connected, right? All of them are they connected. Are. But we also have our own styles. So I'm just curious for you, is there a particular process that you like to nourish more? I'm definitely more of a, you know, in ACT, there's the, the, the hexaplex. And if, if any of your listeners are familiar with that, I'm definitely more of a left side of the hexaplex person. I'm more of a willingness diffusion person. Um, <laughs> I love it. More than a values person. I, I find values uh, uh, difficult in some, in some ways. And uh, however, I, you know, I find what, what I think Somebody is going to contact an exposure is not always what they contact in exposure. And mm. so, mm. um, sometimes... do you mind unpacking that a little bit? Do you mind elaborating on that a little bit more? Sometimes I'm working with someone and I'm thinking like, all right, we're, we're practicing, they're practicing willingness. They're, mm. they're letting themselves sit with uh, anxiety related bodily sensations. They're, they're, they're in touch with that. They're developing their willingness. And then we finish the exposure and I'm talking about their experiences. They're like, oh yeah, you know, I noticed I, I got more distance from my thoughts. There'd mm. be more diffusion or self as context, which encompasses diffusion. And so I, 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 and so I think it's helpful to think you know, what, what, what might I be targeting here? Uh, but I found that and as you know, the the the, the hexaplex processes are not orthogonal; they all overlap, yeah. and that someone may take something differently than I expect them, which I, I think is also really interesting as well. That um, I, at a base level, I just want someone to practice new behaviors within 
something that when we're when we're anxious, when we're nervous, it tends to narrow and constrict behaviors. And so, you know, I'll take anything essentially. <laughs> I love that. I love your flexibility. <laughs> I love it. You know, as you were elaborating on your response, I was smiling because I think like you, I'm more a lefty on the hexaflex. I just say a lot on the left side. Um, I think I am big into creating this context of change before doing the exposure. So that's when I really dive into values trying to understand what will make worth it for a person to go to the pain of face their fears. But then in the middle of the exposure, I think I am more on the left side. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Now, you mentioned willingness. Mm-hmm. For people listening to the show for the first time, if you have to explain what willingness is, how will you describe willingness to them? What will you tell them? Um, willingness in act, I mean, one, it's synonymous with acceptance. So someone might use acceptance as well. Uh, I prefer willingness because I think there can be a lot of baggage with acceptance and acceptance is often misunderstood, but I I think of willingness is kind of being able to be present with discomfort um, without trying to struggle or push it away or make it go away. I would even further say, sometimes we talk about accepting anxiety or accepting fear. I I would argue that anxiety is too abstract to to practice willingness because anxiety is some combination of bodily sensation, context, and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I'm really training someone to practice willingness, I really focus on bodily sensations. If we're feeling anxious, anxiety, or fear, it's showing up somewhere in our body, common places or tightness in the chest or stomach or neck or shoulders. Um, and so I'll have people focus on one of those sensations and sometimes even just practice breathing in and out of that area. And I would also add that I, I think willingness can only be practiced in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people think, you know, if you're doing, I guess, to stay with the driving example, so, uh, mm-hmm. somebody's afraid they're going to lose control and crash the car. Um, and you probably had clients say this, you mean I need to accept that I'm going to crash the car or I'm going to <laughs> and we can't accept that because that's in the future that hasn't happened that's right that's right so can I ask a little bit more and thank you for sharing your take on how you think of willingness and how you present it to your clients um one of the things that we both have encountered in our work and we have chatted about this before is that sometimes we do have clients come into our office that they are eager and perhaps ready to face their fears we will say that they have high willingness to drive on the freeway even though it's uncomfortable painful and it's scary and then sometimes we do have clients that are really really scared really scared of facing their fears for people who are struggling with fears and they're avoiding situations or people or conversations or objects or they get scared about having an intrusive thought or intrusive memory, and they are more invested on avoiding and escaping, mm-hmm. what would you tell them if they come to see you? And you notice that they are not high on willingness, right? They are really perhaps ambivalent. 
they have heard about exposure. They have heard that it's important to face the fears, their worries, their anxieties, but they are petrified. I think when people are very low on willingness, I think one, I found I have to work with them in session, that mm -hmm. talking about it or having them practice outside of session is likely um, not to work because there is so much avoidance and so much fusion. Um, and so I might have people practice sitting with a bodily sensation in session and sit with it. And sometimes that can just give a little bit of a crack of light, like, okay, actually, when I sit with it, maybe it's not as bad as my mind says it is. Mm -hmm. um, too, I think, um, I think willingness is a really tricky concept to get. Uh, and I found some people don't really understand it until they've done a bunch of exposure. Like I think exposure, and some, sometimes I sort of, this might be kind of a reassurance, but like, hey, it, you know, it, it should start to make sense. And I think with, with those individuals, I might start a little bit more small, a little bit more cautiously and really err on the side of success. But just to kind of, you know, I think exposure is a great way because of the repetition of it to practice. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. It's very tricky because I think sometimes people approach the task of facing their fears as something to check off from a list. And then when they are practicing the exposure, whether that's driving on the freeway or giving a speech or taking the elevator, you can see that they are very contrived, right? Mm. Like your bodies are very tense and they are just reassuring themselves. It's going to be okay. Mm. If my therapist is telling me I can do this, it's because I have to do it and I need to do it. So, so it doesn't look like a flexible approach to the discomfort of the moment. What would you say to them? What would you encourage them to try in those moments? Um, it, it might, you know, if they're holding a lot of bodily tension, then I might encourage them to, you know, if their shoulders are up, I might have mm. them, again, even if it feels mechanical to kind of put their shoulders down, if they're making fists to open, you can even, if you're listening, if you make a fist and then open your palm, you can kind of feel the difference. And that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked with one person who, like, sometimes people are not also not tracking that they're that they're yeah. engaging in avoidance. That's true. Uh, you know, I, I some people where just walking, moving through the exposure too quickly mm -hmm. um, was kind of reinforced forcing the avoidance and just slowing down was enough that they could practice willingness, but they weren't, weren't necessarily aware until we were troubleshooting. So that's why I track willingness scores because sometimes that can give me, um, a, you know, if they're kind of in a kind of a middling range, that can give me a cue. Maybe there's some subtle forms of avoidance that maybe even someone's not aware that they're doing going on. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I think you're right that sometimes we're not paying attention to how we are approaching the process of facing our fears, the exposure exercise by itself. The other type of comment or questions I get from my clients is it's related to uncertainty. 
We know one of the things that we have established in the literature is that behind all anxiety struggles, there is this fear of not knowing. Mm-hmm. In the example of driving on the freeway, I want to have 100% certainty and security that I'm not going to harm anyone that there is not going to be a car accident that I cause, that I'm not going to harm the person that is driving with me in the car. Mm-hmm. You get any comments or questions like that related to, I need to know right now, I need to make sure of blah, blah, blah. How will you respond to that? How will you approach to those comments? I think that there's, there's the, both the fear itself mm-hmm. But often behind the fear is that my anxiety is going to get out of control. So I I just want to add that part because it's it's sort of in the curtains that um, it's not, you see that with OCD a lot. It's not the the feared outcome that people are afraid of, but if I do this thing, my anxiety is going to get out of control and I won't be able to handle it. It's like the fear of the fear, right? It's the fear yeah, of the fear. Yeah, the fear. I cannot handle it. I think one we can never really start because I, I mean I think the kind of the kind of the, the rationale, the intellectual explanation is none of us can really be uncertain of any, of anything. Really, uh, I think, and you know, I think one example is you know we if we were to step away for this wouldn't work with the driving. Uh, the person with a fear of driving, but you know, we all get in our cars, we put on our seatbelts, and you know, driving is probably one of the most dangerous things. You know, it's still low on the list of things that we do on a regular basis without thinking about it. That's right. That is right. Yeah. You know, I was thinking how how uncertainty, unpredictable situations, and unknowns are part of our day-to-day life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you and I scheduled this conversation, I didn't say, Brian, can we meet on Thursday at 10 a.m. as long as I don't have a heart attack and as long mm-hmm. as I don't die in a car accident? I didn't say that, <laughs> <laughs> right? I think on a regular basis, we live with no knowing, right? Exactly. I yeah. say, Brian, you know, can we try to do it on Thursday? I didn't mm-hmm. make any contingency yes. as long as nothing bad happens yeah. to me. <laughs> but that is something that I think pops up a lot when we're dealing with mm-hmm. fears. And if it's okay, let me switch gears a little bit. Yeah. You have this upcoming book, Act Inform Exposure for Anxiety, mm-hmm. creating effective, innovative, and values-based exposures using acceptance and commitment therapy. So can I ask first the story behind the book? What was your inspiration to work on this? I've always wanted to write a book on exposure, but I think for years, I, I wasn't sure how I would approach it. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't want to do a, you know, there's various ACT protocols for ACT informed exposure. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to create another one of do the ACT exercises and then do exposure. And I wanted something that really focused on the exposure. And you know, just before the pandemic, I was doing a workshop on ACT informed exposure with, with some colleagues, actually my co-writers on the book, uh, Brian Kalecki mm-hmm. and Jan, and something kind of clicked for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound impressive to say now, but I just had this idea of 
um, okay, I can just sort of focus on exposure as this transdiagnostic intervention, uh, which again, doesn't sound like an epiphany to say, but it sort of <laughs> opened things up for me and allowed me to think about the book. And it was still, it still took a lot of writing and rewriting, creating a proposal. It was more, I think in that moment, I sort of saw the shape in the, the marble of what I could sculpt out uh, of it. I guess I should should make it clear. It's a, it's a book aimed at therapists, so it's not a, a lay audience. And so uh, I've had to uh, let my family know that it would be very boring for them to read. <laughs> For my non-therapist friends, like, oh, that's so cool. I'll have to get a coffee. I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> it, might, it might look nice on your shelf. Maybe you'd like the first chapter and the case examples chapter, but otherwise. Well, you know, it will look beautiful in a bookshelf. Yes. It's like this beautiful yellow cover, right? It's very, yes. very bright. So it will be a lovely addition to a bookshelf. <laughs> I, I, we try to include places to sort of stop and um, say, come up with, with a act rationale to, to, to try to approach it for in, in a more process-based way of here's how you may let, lay a foundation. These are some ways of talking about act, choose the words that work for you and with the people that you work with and maybe write it out uh, so mm -hmm. you can practice it. Here are some things that are useful to track on it forms for act-informed exposure, but choose the ones that make sense for you and then try it out and create a Word document and then edit it and change it over time. Mm -hmm. Very flexible. It sounds very flexible, Brian. That, that was the goal. And, that, and kind of within that, make, making sort of practical suggestions, having worked with a variety of people, some are interested in ACT, some don't even really know that they're doing ACT. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But they don't care. <laughs> I, I will add, I don't know if you found this, you know, often, it, it, you know, um, <laughs> talk about, again, going back to if you, if you do ACT, you don't have to do exposure. You know, I think with podcasts and a, a lot of press around exposure, sometimes I, I find with more clients, they understand expo like exposure is more palatable than act. <laughs> I think you're right. It's a good entry point. They get that. The act what's this, what's this acceptance stuff? I'm <laughs> that is true. That is true. You know, I was also laughing when you say that some people, they are doing act, but they don't know that. <laughs> So speaking about ACT and exposure, <laughs> one of the most common questions I get from people listening to the podcast is how to handle effectively worries, ruminations, mm -hmm. or anticipation of disaster forecaster scenarios. If a person is dealing with chronic worry, Mm -hmm. And they tend to dwell and dwell on what if thoughts, what if this goes wrong, what if Brian gets upset with me, what if I lose my job, what if my pet dies, mm -hmm. what if I get a medical condition. How would you approach chronic worry using an acting form exposure? So from an act perspective, in order to change the function of something, how we respond to something, one way to do that is changing the context of it. So when, when thoughts are in our heads, we can't really 
do exposure with them. They're kind of slippery. They're a little bit different each time. And it, it also, when we worry or ruminate, it also functions as avoidance. That mm -hmm. we're not present. It tends to be, we're often not aware of this, a way to kind of push down anxiety. We've done studies and when people worry, it tamps down the anxiety a little bit. So there's a re reason why it's reinforcing, but it also tends, tends to extend the life of the worry longer when we're actively engaging in the thoughts. And so kind of the first step is to take the thoughts out of the head and put it in a different context. Mm -hmm. um, I might have people write out the mm -hmm. worries into a script, into what's called an imaginal script. Or sometimes I find articles that sort of map on. Mm -hmm. And now we've kind of pinned it down. And sometimes I often tell clients, you know, the anxiety has an easy job. It just imagines the worst thing happening. It doesn't go through the process of how that happens. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think just the act of kind of writing out and really getting into the details of the worry can, you mentioned diffusion, can help people diffuse from it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So sometimes just writing the script is all people need. And when writing the script, this imaginal script, are there particular elements you will encourage people to put down on the paper, like the details of the event, worst case scenario? I, it, it may sound sadistic for people not familiar with imaginal exposure, but I try to have people put in all the details that are triggering and to describe the worst outcome, at least the worst outcome that their anxiety, their fear, what they fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for me, you, I have people um, read it out loud repeatedly and record themselves reading it mm -hmm. into their phone and then listen to the recording. I think that helps to make it more immersive. Sometimes that doesn't work as well. And people, I'll just have people just continue to repeatedly read it aloud. And, and some people mm -hmm. find that more helpful. But then, you know, I think, you know, anything, again, going back to the repetition of exposure, repetition changes our experience with something. That's right. That's right. I do it very similar to what you are describing, right? I think if people are dealing with chronic worry, yes, I encourage them to do this imaginal script that have to have as many details as possible so we can have a sense of how the fear feels in their body, how they are thinking about it, the worst that could happen. Yeah, you want it as a box. You want to create the context that narrows their behavior. That's right, like evoking all that, right? And then either to listen to it multiple times or to read it. I do encourage people to pause and to check what they are noticing, what's showing up in their body, what is their mind telling them, to notice any urges to do something, to solve something, you know, to ground themselves and then go back to read. Because I think it's very easy to approach the process of exposure as something to get done right away and mm -hmm. to have a quick fix. So I think it's slowing down the process, mm -hmm. which can be uncomfortable. I think it helps us to be more in touch with what's really showing up to us, mm -hmm. right? And to manage flexible that experience. Um, one of the things that people struggle when they are dealing with chronic worry is that there is a confusion between effective problem solving and worrying, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're worried about something, it feels like you are doing some yeah. problem solving. 
if I have to buy a car, let's say that I'm going to be thinking a lot about the type of car, my budget the purpose of owning a car or what do I want to use the car for and then I can be hours and hours thinking and thinking it looks like problem solving but it's more worry how will you help people to make that distinction between productive and unproductive worry or helpful and unhelpful worry it's a good question so there's kind of two things I focus on one is it actionable um mm-hmm. Like I think about, I'm kind of a nervous traveler. Uh, if I'm preparing for a trip, there are some worries that are actionable. You can make hotel reservations mm-hmm. on an itinerary, figure out how are you going to get from the airport to wherever you need to go. Then there's, am I going to make my layover? That's not really an actionable fear. No matter how much you think about it, it's not going to affect <laughs> whether you make your layover or not. And so mm-hmm. if it's not actionable to, to sort of gently redirect your attention to what you're doing or to the present moment or to breathing. So it, it, it can sound overly simple, but, but I think we can almost pretty cleanly categorize our worries into actionable or not actionable. You bring up, I like your example of the car. Now that's mm-hmm. actionable, but sometimes we can approach it in a way that's not actionable. Like we keep thinking the same thoughts over and over again. I think also paying attention to, has the trail gone cold? Like, am I just churning in the same grooves over and over again? Yeah, you mentioned something really key here, the repetition of the content of the thought in a loop, that's a key characteristic of worry versus effective problem solving. You research stuff, you wonder about some variables, and then you take action in certain amount of time. Exactly. And, and sometimes it can be deceptive. Like in buying a car, you can spend all this time look, reading stuff. But like for me, if I'm making a decision, I have to then take notes or write it out. Otherwise, you know, I, I could read all about cars. I close the browsers and I'm still thinking the same <laughs> <laughs> and so I could feel, I could feel like the internet allows me to feel like I'm doing something <laughs> when I'm not. <laughs> I hear you. I have in there. <laughs> so what can we do to move the process along, narrow things down, actions that we can take? Or, you know, when we're stuck in that loop of thought, sometimes this comes up a lot when people are thinking about making job changes. I think anything that adds new information to the system meeting people for coffee to talk about what they're doing or uh, learning more about this or that. I think anything that, anything that, you know, again, checking in, the, the first key is, is, has the trail gone? Am I just thinking the same thoughts over and over again? You can kind of feel when it's stale. And then what can I do to sort of shake it up or change the system or introduce something new into that or to kind of move the actionable process along? I'm thinking of how dating can be completely affected by chronic worry, right? Should I go out with this person again? What if she doesn't like me? Did I say the right thing? Should I open the door? What if she doesn't call me back? Should I call this person in three days or one week? So I think that it is interesting how there is no task or conversation that may not be affected by worry. Mm -hmm. With the dating, I would also add to that is Think of uh, looking at, I describe it as multiple data data points. Yeah. Like how do you how do you feel about whether it's a relationship or something ongoing? 
how do you feel over time? If you just have one data point, like, oh, I'm not, maybe I should, maybe this isn't the person for me. That gives you some information, but doesn't give you a trend or a pattern. But if you kind of pay attention, how do I feel day by day, hour by hour, if I'm trying to make a decision, kind of looking at, okay, in general, what's coming up for me more often than that's not. That's true. That's true. Finding a person on the first date, not advisable, unless yeah. there's something <laughs> 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 or, or ending a 10-year relationship the first time you think, oh, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That is not that exactly. You know, that's a great situation because also when we're dealing with worries, we think that managing effectively the worry is to not have ever a doubtful mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. The reality is that, of course, even when you love someone, you're going to wonder about what if this ends? What if she doesn't love me any longer, right? Yeah. What if I want something different? So I think acknowledging that worries and fears are going to be part of our day-to-day life and the managing effectively doesn't mean not having them. You know, I think all these things are data. It's just mm-hmm. not always clear how to interpret them. It takes some time to sort of sit down and say, like, what is actually going on here? That's right. That's right. We're running out of time. Brian, if you were to have a cup of coffee or tea or a beer or a scotch with any person you want today, who would that be and why? I'm not really good at this question. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's know this at that. Let's know this at that. I think. Uh... I'm going to dodge this one. I, I think this comes out of my own social anxiety of like, well, uh, I, what if it, I think I, if I see someone across the room that I want to talk to, I think I often uh, uh, think, oh, what if it goes badly? And so I think, <laughs> I think, I think rather than, uh, I think it would be, who, wh- who could I approach, say, one thing I've rehearsed in my head, like, I really like your work. how I would approach a famous person (laughs) you're the best thank you for having me I really enjoyed this this has been a lot of fun thank you so much it's a pleasure and we will do it again thanks for listening if you like this episode I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and if you're feeling extra generous I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon! <laughs>